Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning. Welcome to City Limits. And we've got Kevin is just arriving, putting his headphones on. Have you got the tea ready, Kevin? I have indeed. That's why I'm just arriving. Excellent. Excellent. I just got here. (laughs) Yes. And you've got some (laughs) clippings and things to talk about. Oh, of course I do. a big pile today. Of course I do. Excellent. uh, In fact, it's... uh, Well, better talk in the microphone, I suppose. It makes it easier and people out there to hear. Um... Andy's over there as well. Hello, good, how morning. Morning. good morning, Andy. How are you going? Mark, of course, who introduced the program. He's back. Welcome back, Mark. You've been away for a couple of weeks. I have. It's good to be back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Queensland or somewhere? Which is no, I was in Adelaide. Adelaide. I was in Adelaide. Took the overland train to Adelaide. So that was oh. wonderful. Yeah, try and keeping these things open, you see. Yeah, well, so that was the sole purpose of the visit. That's, that's, that's the other said, yeah, just, just to make sure that the, the overland train from Melbourne to Adelaide keeps, keeps going. So I thought I would travel on it yeah well we've mentioned before a friend of mine lives in a town on the way and the train goes through it every you know whatever twice a week now it goes through each way yeah uh but it just doesn't stop there which is a bit of a handicap yeah it's a bit um, of a that's a bit of a problem yeah, so yeah. you train goes through but you can't catch it i know well, you can but you don't get don't get off where you want to unless you're very fast and take risks <laughs> um which we're not recommending folks no 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 um so that's that. Yeah, well, and of course, Emma's still away. She's yes. uh, back in a week or two, I think. She's uh, she's ending up her, her studies for the year. That's right, yeah. At April, Bragg is not coming in today. Shane McGrath from the Housing for the Aged Action Group is coming in to talk about rental issues, etc. So oh, good. It's a blokesy program. A blokesy program. To add to that, Howard from um, Friends of Public Housing is coming on in the first half as well. Uh, to discuss, um, we'll discuss a number of issues around his deeply concerned about public housing mm. and particularly the fact that so much of it has been given away. Yes. And there's a rally tomorrow, the first of a number of rallies that are being held. So we're going to give that a plug. Fantastic. So it's housing day. That's obvious from what we just said. It's the third Wednesday of the month and it is housing day. So there we are. There we are. And I've got to put on these glasses, which are a bit risky. I lost my reading glasses here. They were somewhere in this vicinity last week. Ah. But, but it's a week, so they're not going to turn. I'll have to they go may. get new ones. But this turn. is the previous pair, but like so many of my glasses, one lens keeps falling out. So it's uh, we're now in risk territory here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, we if go. need be, I can be your eyes. <laughs> while I, I, my eyesight's still just about okay, so well, I can... So here we go. Uh, now, oh, you've got a cup there, have you? I have, yeah, I'm sorted. I'm drinking oh, weird well, I'll, um, herbal tea today. Right, well, I'll pour this and Annie won't drink out tea. He eschews it. This is, uh, I'm drinking oh. bitter melon tea. But he does a good job setting the mic up when we pour it, which is very good. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> there we are. Um... I just one thing I just wanted to mention very quickly. There's an article um, this week. A three billion dollar plan to build new tunnels in the city loop has been put on the agenda to give Melbourne a London style underground system. And this um, this uh, proposal has been floating is floating around. I just wanted to mention that this is the almost the proposal that John McPherson has talked about for some time on our program that. He opposes the metro because it's over-expensive. It doesn't achieve as much as this proposal would. But now they're talking about this coming up in a few years' time, say 15 or year program. Mm. Um, but in fact, this is the very thing John says 
well, pretty much the very thing John talks about, where you put more tunnels through the loop, etc., and people have to interchange more because trains go straight through, but it allows a lot more trains through the system. Yeah. And... Um, and it would do it at a far, far cheaper rate than that. So we'll talk to John about that, obviously, in two weeks' time when he's on again. I think it's two weeks' time, isn't it? we got four or five this month, I think it's... Yeah. I think mm. it's only four. Th- yeah, it would be, because the Melbourne Cup's on. Yeah, that's this, right. This so we'll right, be on yeah. on the second, because the yeah. Cup's on the first. Which raises an interesting thing. I mean, this is just a bit of absolute trivia that doesn't matter at all. But this is one of the rare occasions when the US election and the Melbourne Cup don't clash on the same day. Ah, there we go. Because the Melbourne Cup's always on the first Tuesday in ah. November. But the Melbourne Cup, the, the election's always on the first Tuesday after the first Monday. Right. And this year it's the first, ah. the Tuesday. So there you are. That's just a bit of nonsense trivia that no one needed to know and didn't give a stuff about anyway. Oh, it's very, um, I find it very interesting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, you look riveted. <laughs> have a sip of tea and shut it's up. <laughs> Hang on, I'll just have a sip of tea myself. Hang on a tick. Say something, Andy. <clears throat> um, how are we all? We're all yeah. <laughs> well said, Andy. Well yeah. said. <laughs> oh. Turn my mic back <laughs> off now. There we are. Um, now, a bit of bad luck for um, James Packer this week with oh, no. his staff being arrested and uh, held in China. Um, I imagine that if um, you asked him what his concern was, he'd say, well, you can always replace staff, but I've blown about several million dollars overnight in my shit because the shares have gone down. Oh, and, thing. of course, the big and there's, this led to a headline in Monday's Financial Review, Threat to Crown's Barangaroo Strategy. And here's a classic example. We've talked several times where the this massive Crown development at Barangaroo, the big developer that's taking place on Sydney Harbour, um, that uh, it was it was what they now call like an unsolicited tender where he just turned up and said, I want to do this, and the state said, okay, you can. Uh, no tenders called. No, the state had never shown any interest in it. And, of course, what he wants to do is also move into where they move in and break the monopoly of the other casino star in mm, Sydney, mm. whereas in Melbourne, when he got the licence for the Crown here, um, he was given a, I think it's a 50-year or something, um, exemption from competition. These are all people who great, greatly believe in competition policy as long mm. as it isn't against them. Exactly. Um, exactly. And it, and, but they believe it if they want to go and take on someone else and do them out of business. Anyway, he got this Barangaroo, and as we've mentioned several times, he took over, he's putting the casino on the, only, on the, on the land that was set aside as public public land, public open land mm. on, the, on the site. Now the government's you know, running around trying to find a spot to put public open land because Packer's taken over what was supposed to be. That's, uh, that's uh, but now, of course, it's also, while all this money's going and all this sort of stuff, and even our crown here, why the shares have gone down is that they're, these, this one, the Macau one, the Barangaroo one, the Melbourne one now in, the, in recent times, their their profit their future profits are based on the on the on the whales as they call them the big betting um, people they pay lots of money to bring mm. in they give them he's got a golf course out near Moorabbin Airport which they take the the high flyers to as well but it's based on those people in fact Barangaroo has no poker machines it's set up solely for the big spending Chinese mostly Chinese they'll yeah. bring in now yeah. if the Chinese threat that they're trying to stamp down on this comes about. Mm. 
then most of their profits won't get into Australia. Mm. So, so this is why their shares are going down and they could be in deep trouble, but it also shows the the um, paucity of such planning that you allow this sort of thing to happen yeah. based on something that can change so dramatically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I'm sure Jamie will try and find a way around all this. But, I'm uh, sure he will. But, he but always does, doesn't he? His concern, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure he'll, he cares about his workers, of course. <laughs> of course but, he uh, does, yeah. He, I'm sure he, he's, he cares a lot more about the fact his profits are going down the gurgler. Um, so I just thought I'd mention that one, throw it into the ring. Uh, the... Um, Another one that's happened, well, just, it's just interesting also this week that um, it just happens that this has happened on the same week. Tomorrow is the annual general meeting of Crown. Oh, okay. um, and there's going to be some questions asked and a lot of people uh, will, be, um, will be suggesting, uh, in fact, um, it's suggested that the, the retail shareholders will vote against the Crown Resort's pay plan, including a 1.2 million pay rise for the directors. But the it looks set to sail through because James Packer stood down as chairman, so now he can use his 50% of the company vote to make sure it all gets through. So there you are, that's OK. So he's feeling pretty safe on that line. Um, Thank God for that. Yeah, that's right. You'd be worried, though, for a minute, Kevin. Oh, well, there you are. Um, and also, Origin Energy's having its... Um, Having it, so actually it was today, I think. Oh, was it today? I think it's today, today, Origin Energy. I'm pretty sure it's today. Uh, But um, apart from the fact that there also are big questions about money to the directors, etc., particularly seeing they ostensibly lost some money this year, but there's doomed to be big bonuses and things going up. But also, it's set to get some heat over harmful emissions that it's only coal-fired generator, the giant error ring plant in New South Wales, where emissions of sulphur dioxide, nitrogen oxides, hydrochloric acid and particulates all increased in the two years after Origin acquired the plant in 2013. Now, this is interesting because Origin keep putting ads and writing to us telling us how they so care about the environment. They're into renewables. They do, don't they? they? Yes, mm. they love the environment. I think they call it greenwash. Just love it. Yeah, mm. that's right. <laughs> Definition of greenwash there. Prime <laughs> example. There we go. Yes. So they, anyway, that's, that's coming up today. But I think, again, they They'll ride the storm very well. I'm very sure they will. Yes, yes, yes. which is always good. I'm going to have another sip of tea. Hang on. Say something else. Tell us about Adelaide. <laughs> There's not much to say. No. Um, Adelaide was great. Yeah, it just doesn't nice. go to Adelaide. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, being, I'm being harsh. I spent seven years in Adelaide and I survived it. I did my uni there. Yeah, yeah. I, I studied town planning in Adelaide and when I, when I did it, it was a, a very good course. So, yeah. So, thumbs up to Adelaide and their town planning degrees. Right, yes. yes. Yes, Melbourne's going well on town planning at the moment. Very nice botanic yeah. gardens yeah. in Adelaide yeah. as well. If you ever go to Adelaide, check out the botanic gardens. Uh, we went to some gardens, one called um, Digger's Garden last Sunday, which is in back of Portsea somewhere or somewhere. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was down that part of the world for the weekend and we went to this garden on Sunday, yeah. Was it nice? <laughs> Fairly pleasant, yeah. It wasn't. We were all a bit disappointed in it, I must admit, and... Uh, but uh, it wasn't too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. Good, good. But it, it wasn't... Uh, no, I, I've seen better. Um, anyway, that was that. Did a few walks there around some some uh, some environmental areas, Crib Point and around the back of Portsea. Oh, yeah. And things. That was oh, quite, yeah. Quite good. Yeah. Quite good. Good, good. Good, good. good. Yeah, good. quite good. Um, now, 
congratulations to Nigel Hedgekiss, who's a wonderful man. He's taken over, of course, the Fair Work Building and Construction Commission, and he's desperate for this new bill to get through so it can even be harsher. Yes. But there's some good, there's some good signs. Um, there are 34 proceedings in this. It marked the highest uh, level, second highest level of litigation. This is this year, his new report, with the all-time high reached in 2014-15. It's like a footy match. You've got to get to the heights. When cases jump 44%, uh, the total 1.8 million in penalties handed down by the courts this year, 95% against the CFMEU, was the highest amount achieved to date and marked a 30% increase since the 1.39 million secured in 2014-15. So that's good. It's going up there, making more. It's great, isn't it? Against it's the good union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, but they still dwarf what they got under the old commission, which they're hoping to renew now because they can get a lot more and there's more. You know, it's it's great. And Nigel said the agency was having little effect on the industry's unlawful awful culture unfortunately so uh, yeah yeah it's awful isn't it awful yeah and of course what the unions are getting see what you do is you pass a law making union officials acting as union officials illegal then when they act as union officials they're illegal so you charge them ah yeah so you you raise you go along and as you always have said there's a health problem here we're going to stop work till you fix it they say well that was an illegal stop work you were you and there are workers there who aren't in the union, or you go along and say, look, we want all workers to be in the union. That is now totally illegal. Most of them get fined for that sort of thing. Yeah, They've got it all sewn up, haven't they? Oh, have they? What? Yeah, and just on, and we'll go to Howard after this, but um, just um, BHP, our old mate. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Good old BHP. Yeah, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago they were in some industrial dispute. um, I can't think. It might have been Brazil or something, was it? I can't remember now, but they were involved because they were... They were, oh, it was America, actually, because remember the, the guard, that's right, the security they needed for their shale thing, their mm. fracking place, because the protesters had to be kept out, mm. were getting paid. They had, It's only a $7.50 an hour anyway, but they were still being underpaid and mm. not being paid overtime. Mm. Uh, but BHP, um, I think they said they couldn't comment because it was before the courts or mm. something. Mm. Well, now it's been shown a, a, a an African-American employee says he was... Um, he was uh, ostracised and he was he was he was um, vilified by Ku Klux Klan symbols placed around workstations at a copper mine in Arizona, which BHP ran it ran it ran it up through this period. It got rid of it a couple of years ago, but it right. ran it through this period. Um, and he said that nooses were placed around the work areas on five occasions and alleges that a bottle and a cup were used to create Ku Klux Klan symbols in a break room. He alleged he raised the issues with his superiors, but they allegedly failed to investigate, failed to identify the culprits and did not discipline anyone over the incidents. And um, a spokesman for BHP said they were aware of the matter, but given it is subject to a legal proceeding, it is not appropriate to offer further comments. So... There we yeah. go. Yes. There we go. Yeah. Well, that's good old. Well, it's no longer Australian, of course, but uh, the big, the big Aussie. That's it. Yeah, the big Aussie. Yeah, yeah doing great things. In fact, it was named um, where where there's been, and there was a film about it, where we've heard about Coca Cola mm. in Colombia and workers mm. being killed if they try to uh, join unions or mm. take industrial action. But BHP's been named there as well for mm. uh, similar. Yeah. Offenses, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, good to no, know, it's, isn't it? 
It's very di- you, very disturbing, very disturbing. Oh, it makes you proud to be Australian, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll just roll out the Australian flag. <laughs> That's right. I think we mentioned last time also that uh, I'll just mention this one very briefly because once a month or so, um, uh, Richard Dennis from the Australia Institute uh, has a, a, a an article in the Financial Review, and last month he had an article. Uh, and the editorial next to it by the Financial Review itself was absolutely diametrically opposite, absolutely opposite <laughs> point of view. And yesterday it's happened again. His headline is that new taxes are not political death, and their editorial ha- headline, headline is ill-conceived tax grab on resources. So <laughs> there you are. <laughs> oh, dear. What the left hand knows, what the... Exactly, the, In yes. this case, what the right hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Um, <laughs> yes, right. Anyway, I like that. Yeah, I'll yeah. remember that one. We'll, we'll take a break. We'll kind of come back and talk to Howard from Friends of uh, Family. Not <laughs> Family planning, you idiot. Come. <laughs> Friends of Public Housing. That's what I'm talking about. I know what about. you're on about. Yeah, that's right. And um, we'll uh, talk to him about all sorts of things. Okay, let's take a break. <laughs> Before they're gone 
And that was Shock Octopus with Tough Kids Write Songs. Right, do they? They do, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> okay. And one tough kid on the line is Howard from Public House, our friends of Public Housing, who's been toughing his way. He gets the establishment for ages trying to get something done, and let's hope it happens shortly. Howard, we'll talk about there's a rally tomorrow, so we're going to give a plug for that, obviously. But, um, but firstly, uh, your concern, I know, about the amount of public housing that's been given over to commu- so-called community and social housing. Interesting article in yesterday's Financial Review, a proposal by Infrastructure Partnerships Australia, which is a private group, and KPMG, one of the big four world accounting firms, uh, which once those two are involved, you know it's going to be pretty socially socially, uh, involved anyway. Uh, But it says a future fund should be established to rescue Australia's ailing social housing stock, covering the cost of housing subsidies by the investment returns from selling inappropriate and deteriorating public housing stock. The whole article's about getting rid of public housing, handing it over, but then also it's giving above market rents to the private owners, to the the groups who run community and social housing, by subsidies from the government. So they want the government to sell but then subsidise as well. It's a pretty astonishing report, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's the way it's, it's worked. Well, like we've had, uh, what, 30 years of privatisations and uh, the effect has been in a lot of sectors just for prices to go up uh, and quality to go down and the public's not happy with it. So this is their plan B. So instead of saying we were wrong... We should have not, never privatised in the first place. The government has a role to play in providing goods and services to the public, which is the sensible conclusion. They're saying, oh, we'll go to plan B. We're not going to let you uh, renationalise. You're going to subsidise us to do it. It's just a joke, a total joke. Mm. And part of their plan is that as people will die effectively or move out of public housing, then the housing can be sold. So you don't throw anyone out, Howard. You, um, but once, once people leave public housing, that public housing should be, should be given to, not sold actually, but given to, I think it's, well, they, they're saying sold, but then you buy something that becomes social or community housing. Yeah, well, that's, that's well, whatever they want, whether they want to wait till someone dies or whether, whether they're going to turf them out. Uh, what's been happening uh, in Victoria uh, since Jeff Kennett has been, um, what's, called the Kensington model where you've had um, renovation uh, and you've had a lot of public housing demolished uh, uh, residents relocated and uh, a lot of the uh, demolished properties have been um, walk-ups which have housed families Uh, and then you've had either uh, private dwellings built like you've had say in Carlton you can actually see the the private dwellings with the wall between the public housing and the the um, private um, properties. So much for ghettos, or not not having ghettos, um, and uh, the uh, tenants aren't able to return. So communities are broken up, um, and uh, it's basically a form of privatisation, which has been underway uh, since Kennett and has been maintained by the Labor governments. Mm. And as you, you want to say? No, no, you, no. you as you as you say, it, it shows that the, the the funding model hasn't worked anyway. Um, indeed, we've said on this program many times that they're forced to charge they charge higher rents, but they're forced to because they've got to keep the, the show going. Uh, but of course, that's all eliminated if it's run by the public in the first place. That's exactly right. Now, I don't think people realise exactly how much subsidy is actually going to the um, 
these charities and churches uh, to run what they call social housing. Uh, firstly, people need to remember that public housing rents are fixed at 25% of the tenant's income. Um, and so, in other words, if their income goes uh, up or down, obviously the rent changes accordingly and it's affordable for people. It's manageable economically. Whereas with the um, social um, housing... Uh, uh, sorry, just to go back a step, the um, public housing is actually not subsidised. We believe it actually covers its cost and uh, the tenants don't receive Commonwealth rent assistance. Whereas in the case of social housing, the tenants do receive... Commonwealth rent assistance. So the Commonwealth is actually subsidising the states to run uh, pr run privately what should be run pu publicly, um, and uh, the um, the amount is actually quite astonishing. For every dollar that the tenant pays in rent, it's roughly something like a dollar thirty of Commonwealth subsidy, which is going to those private organisations, and they still can't manage to run the thing profitably or sorry economically. Um, so it's, a, it's another case of failure by the private sector. Yeah, it and, seems um, um, it seems that the ideology of privatisation is so strong that, that that even if it means that you know taxpayers are going to be worse off as a result of this model, they still want to do it because privatisation is still seen as being better than you know putting things in public hands. It doesn't. You're make exactly any right. Sense. That's yeah. what it is. It's yeah. about, but it's about agendas, and it's about yeah. we don't we have we have a democracy, but it's a capitalist commercial dominated democracy Absolutely. and the more it's the more it's dominated by the commercial sector the less uh, it's informed properly uh, our universities are corrupted yeah. and they can no longer give independent advice the public service is corrupted the media is corrupt from yeah. the start because it's commercial media and now we've got uh, the government media being corrupted as well um, so we're actually I, I should congratulate Kevin um, and colleagues like Joe and stuff for keeping 3CR going because 3CR is really um, the, al the alternative to get the uh, the other side of the argument. And um, also talking about the oh, no, I'll, I'll leave the rally to a bit later. Thank you. Yeah, we'll come. We'll come back to the rally. Yep. But bloke called Brendan Lyon, speaking for this wonderful group called Infrastructure Partnerships Australia, says we need to end our obsession that public housing is a particular type of government-owned and operated dwelling, rather than being a government-funded service that is about serving people. That's going to what you're saying, isn't it? Oh, well, I, I, he's saying it's our obsession. I mean, I might be obsessed with it, but I don't think he's obsessed with it. He's not. And I don't think most of the uh, the parliament is obsessed with it. Mm. He's Quite the contrary. He's obsessed with profit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you can't say that. He did. I just did. Um, <laughs> he didn't, but I did. Um, he also says nearly 60% of social housing tenants are singles and another 14% are single parents, yet much of the housing stock was built for families and very few have private sector jobs, bludgers, you see from which they can contribute rent, cutting the revenue model to 30% of a government benefit income. So apparently the fact that they haven't got jobs is really, well, it is bad for them, but he thinks it's it's bad for the economy, obviously. Well, and, and by privatising it, you're suddenly going to get them jobs, are you? Apparently. Well, you know, and they're not going to have housing, I assume. I mean, because part of the problem, part of the point that they have to charge more is that they, they pick people who are more likely to be able to pay. So if you haven't got a job, you won't get in. That's exactly right. Mm. So that means homelessness. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's not. It doesn't get to the real core of the problem at all, and it's a, it's a huge worry. Um, Look, personally, I'd just go back a step and say, 
we've actually arrived at a situation in our evolution as human beings where we can actually do away with a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and we should seriously be looking at a guaranteed minimum income. Mm. So the people that, you know, we can actually afford, possibly, look, this is a, this is a hypothetical argument which needs to be tested and not just rejected out of hand, but we could probably afford to have um, people guaranteed enough income so they can buy food and uh, pay their bills. And if they want to have a high standard of living above that, then they have to work. Mm. Um, but most of the work now is being done by machines, either mm. in the form of uh, factory machines or robots or computers. So why why not accept that fact, except there's not enough work to go around and, uh, exactly. and um, share the work accordingly. I mean, many years ago, they would say, you know, or the people said to me when I was younger, oh, in years to come, you know, because of the, me- the mechanization of everything, there'll be much more leisure time and we'll only be working two or three days a week. But yet we're working harder now than at any time before. Yeah, but that's because of the way the system, the economic system has actually yeah. forced wages down. Of course. Uh, and it's actually taken all the benefits yeah. to the capitalist sector. So you've got investors who are making billions of dollars. That's right. Who before were only millionaires. And the rest of us are, are actually worse off than what we were before. Exactly, exactly. Yes, that's right. I don't remember we used to talk about how, how people would use the leisure time and the wonderful things that would happen. And um, it's gone, gone the other way. People are actually working longer than they were back then. Um, yeah, which is amazing right. given the amount of, as we say, the amount of mechanisation. Well, I suppose if people work less, they've got more time to think about how. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's, That's my right. problem, Mark. Too <laughs> yeah. so much time on my hands. Yeah, we've got to get those worrying things out of the economy. Um, this to finish up, also on this point, Mr. Lyon also said he's said the proposed Mr. Lyon, Mr. Well. Um, no, he wasn't. He, I'm sure he believes it. Um, he says the proposal does not represent a land grab, a proposal to cherry-pick prime real estate or to move families and at-risk individuals from neighbourhoods where they have deep connection. It is not about pushing people from high-value areas to the outskirts, he said. Now, um, everything well, I'm glad ab- he's shown his hand there. That was you. the last paragraph. Everything above that pointed in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> We, I don't think we need to comment on that. No, no, we, no, we exactly. don't. We, we don't. don't. We no, don't. But I just thought it was worth mentioning. On the ground, worth yeah. mentioning. Also, this month, the the start. Well, I'll, I'll go to another one first. Actually, I'll come back to this one. But um, the the stuff that's come out about Fisherman's Bend includes the government buying uh, land from General Motors Holden uh, for one hundred and thirty million dollars down there. Yet, in all the articles I've read about all the developments down at Fisherman's Bend, I've heard nothing about public housing, let alone even affordable housing, really. Um, yeah. Uh, and this $130 million land they've just bought, uh, if, if they run true to form, will end up in private hands making private money. Yep, that's exactly right. And that, that land there can actually be used by the government economically to build public housing. Mm, okay. um, can, can I just go back a step? You were talking about the proposal that's come out of the private sector there for, um, uh, you know... Social housing. Yeah, social housing. I, I have to send a red alert to the Greens because have a look at your um, federal policy and you'll find that there's actually a, a proposal which is based on the AHURI, which is, uh, what is it? Remind me, Kevin, AHURI. Australian, Australian Housing, housing and, Urban and Urban Research Institute. Yeah, come yeah. from AHURI. Um, which is that uh, there'd be bonds issued interest-free to housing associations to build homes um, and uh, the bonds would pay up to 6% per 
a per annum tax-free to retail and institutional investors. So again, it's another grab for government guaranteed money by the private sector, which has come through this research institute, which has now found its way into the most left-wing major party, which is the Greens. So that really needs to be knocked on the head. Mm. It's not an alternative to proper government funding. No, 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 it's interesting because Ahuri uh, in recent times has, much of its stuff has been very much based on private sector involvement in housing, yeah. Yeah, well, Ahuri is actually a government uh, and university-funded body, so it's not surprising that's the case. Yeah. It's just um, going back to the Fisherman's Bend proposal. I mean, Fisherman's Bend is a, a brownfield site redevelopment project, and like so many of these projects. I mean, Fisherman's Bend is a particularly large example, but there are smaller examples going on all over the place. But unless you actually factor in public housing into these developments, you're not really preventing suburban sprawl. Because the whole idea of, you know, if we build on brownfield sites and we do urban consolidation and all of this kind of thing, that somehow we will stop developments on the fringe. But what they actually do, if you don't put affordability into the equation you end up by gentrifying these areas and you end up pushing prices up, which forces people on lower incomes out to the the urban fringes. So we've also got to challenge this idea, this oversimplification of the idea that if you increase densities, that somehow it's going to stop urban sprawl. It's a lot more complicated than that. The economy is more complicated than just having an open slather private sector. Exactly. That's what it's about. Exactly. And um, Mark, you've actually touched on a really important point because... Um, part of the agenda seems to be to actually uh, take poorer people, well, people, public housing tenants, out of the city areas yeah. for the, to take the prime real estate. That's um, right. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we're fighting against. Right. And they're using this tr- trendy urban consolidation as a kind of a greenwash way of doing it. And yeah. a lot of progressive people are promoting urban consolidation without actually looking at the fact that if you do a, urban consolidation, you, 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 ca- you can't rely upon the private sector alone to do it. Otherwise, exactly. it, it does create mm. bigger problems. Yeah. Same yeah. thing's happening in Sydney. Of course, there's a, there's a growing protest against um, government plans to sell a huge public housing unit on uh, on the rocks and they're also in flogging off all the public housing in Miller's Point just above mm. the rocks. Beautiful public housing right mm. on the harbour and of course the government's argument is well what we get for that we can buy more public housing in other places but other places mm. of course are somewhere near Udna Data or something. Well that's, that's right yeah their excuse is because the land's cheaper out there but it's uh, yeah it just means that people have more social isolation mm. and all of the mm. problems that come and part of the whole argument against public housing which is not true anyway, is that it actually creates ghettos. Yeah. So, but you know it's actually just an excuse of course. to get people out of the area. Public housing actually breaks down the whole ghetto concept by not having ghetto suburbs. So you've got lower-income people living uh, alongside higher-income people because they've got the right to do so. And, Kevin, with New South Wales, it's actually gone further than that. They've actually um, announced something like 18,000 uh, public housing units are going to be privatised, including in Macquarie. Mm. Yeah, yes. Mm. Oh, yes. Right. It's, it's shocking. The, it's the government's argument is just an excuse to sell it because I, I stayed at the public housing on the rocks. I've mentioned several times in this program over the years with a cousin who lived there, and um, you could watch the developers walking around the streets drooling. You know. mm. And that that was and that was that was only saved because of the green bans in the seventies by the by the union That's at right, the time, yeah. mm. Builders Labourers Federation. Yep. Yeah. Um, the the also well, we finished with that. I suppose we have to agree with that Fisherman's Bend one. I mean, we just assume that and we should be pushing for the government to put public housing on that land they've bought, of course. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, the... the, the I always argue that when this, this argument that governments have to run at a surplus, it seems to me that if there's a surplus, it's money you've raised for services that haven't been spent on services. Uh, I know I'm being a bit silly, but uh, the article in the last week or so says a booming property market go on and a surging population have poured all this money and the, the government's come up with a $2.7 billion surplus in the past, this is the state government, in the past 12 months. Now, two point seven billion sitting in the kick doing nothing could build a few houses, couldn't it? Yep, sure could. Um, sure could, yeah. And uh, yeah. it's come from from land tax and stuff like that, anyway. Um, look, one other thing I was asked to mention today um, was to actually emphasise the point that there's been no mandate for this. There was, like, for example, the Labor Party here in Victoria didn't go to the electorate with uh, with uh, a promise to privatise anything, to transfer stuff across to um, the private sector. In fact, they're actually criticising the Liberal Party announcement that they're going to privatise 12,000 or 20% of the public housing stock. I think Richard Wynne called, called it an embarrassing hoax. And as soon as they got into government, um, Friends of Public Housing was trying to contact them. Um, the Homeless People's Union was trying to contact them. They haven't actually... Um, return calls or spoken to anyone and if people want to read about it um, Friends of Public Housing has got a good uh, blog spot uh, which is uh, just bear with me one moment um, savepublichousingblogspot.com.au Right, good stuff. Well, on a similar thing, because um, Shane McGrath from Housing for the Age Action Group's in the studio at the moment, he's wandered in. And Shane, um, just um, on that, I mean, I know also the, the Housing Minister, Martin Foley, who's an ex was an ex-public uh, housing worker at one stage of his career, but I know you had a lot of trouble, you as HAG, had a lot of trouble even getting any sort of appointment with him for ages after he became Housing Minister, didn't you? Yeah, well, you know, ministers uh, don't necessarily have a lot of time to meet with community groups who are who don't agree with their agendas or who who want to make demands on them. Um, yeah, certainly we've been having some trouble getting in contact with him. Uh, although, you know, we have a we have a pretty good working relationship, I guess, uh, and also with the consumer affairs minister, uh, who we've been trying to meet with for a little while now, especially around the the review of the residential tenancies act that's been going on for some time. All right, we'll come back to that. Have you got anything to comment on? What we, I don't know if you've heard much of it, but what we've been talking about and. Oh. We're talking about this plan, private sector plan for social housing, which means you sell off public housing and we'll skip it away as it yeah, yeah. becomes vacant. I mean, I guess well, this is kind of a predictable point for me to make, I guess, in some ways. But I think one thing that's not emphasised enough in these discussions is that part of the reason that the government wants to privatise this, not just because they want to get out of the business and because they want to hand money and, and assets over to the private sector, it's also about driving down wages and conditions. When you take these services and these roles away from public servants who are fairly well unionised comparatively uh, and put them into the, the community sector where wages and conditions are much worse, that, that drives down wages and conditions across the board for all of us. Mm. It's a good point. Good point. Yeah, good yeah. Point. Now, Howard, we're going to let you go shortly, but before you go, we, we, you're primarily on to give a plug to a rally tomorrow. We haven't got there yet, but just tomorrow's rally. Tell us about it. Yeah, tomorrow's rally is at 11.30am till 1.30pm, so it's a two-hour rally. Uh, it's a state parliament, and uh, we've got a whole list of great speakers, including Kevin Healy. 
Well, I don't know um, that I am, actually. I, I, I thought I'd be joking when they had me down. But anyway, we'll see. <laughs> You're talking uh, now. It's all, and also, it's all can, I, um, can I just put a call out to Ken Mooney, I, um, who actually um, played a big role in mobilising public housing tenants years ago. Mm. I had an interesting conversation with him, but I can't remember a word of what he said. And uh, Most, I'd love most people tomorrow. can't, but go on. Uh, Ken, if you're out there, I'd love you to speak at the rally tomorrow. Um, or you can just catch us on the um, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia uh, Facebook page. So yeah, if people are interested, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia is the name of the campaign. And uh, But again, thanks, Kevin, because it was due to this, this very program that the campaign actually got underway. Um, your mate Joe Toscano and Joe on the next program I'm sure we'll say even more about it but uh, <laughs> it's going to be um, it, it's, there's going to be an ongoing rally aren't there there's going to be every month every yep. month yeah. so yeah. Next, next one is uh, Thursday the 10th of November same time same place fantastic yep. that's, right. that's great no, look, and Steve Jolly will be talking as well yep Steve Jolly yeah. he's, he's Robbie been a guest on here so Sue great. Bolton yes um but also we want to actually invite public housing tenants up to the microphone because part of it, part of the reason for the rally is actually to communicate to everyone the fact that public housing is actually a good thing. It's not like what you see in the mainstream media. And for the most part, it's a very close, strong community and people have a lot of security uh, and people actually like living there. So, and as well as that, um, people need to know that um, the public housing tenants want to stay in public housing and also the homeless people want to get public housing and we're inviting the we'll be inviting the homeless people up to the microphone as well brilliant okay look brilliant. thanks howard and we'll um yeah. we'll doubt we'll see you tomorrow yep see you then bet you, the i'll bet you go to that rally um <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks a lot well look we'll take a very quick break come back and talk to shane mcgrath about lots of things <laughs> Housing for the Aged Action Group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof every fourth Wednesday of the month. We advocate for affordable, secure and appropriate housing. So listen up every fourth Wednesday from 6 to 6.30 on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. Rightio, Shane McGrath. And, oh, Shane, by the way, um, are you moonlighting or something? Because, and I I just want to know, because there's a real estate group called McGrath. Is that you? Or you? Oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. No, no, no you wouldn't don't. want to sell yourself. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, are, you, are you in Hague as some sort of fifth columnist? Yeah, a secret, secret undercover agent for the real estate industry. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Maybe that could be a lucrative sideline. <laughs> what, I'm sorry, your title, What you've got a title, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm the tenancy worker, so my role at, at Hague is really to, to help older people who are having problems with their landlord or real estate agent. So... 
a lot of that work is about trying to stop people from being evicted or at least uh, you know prevent eviction long enough for them to get mm. public housing or social housing or whatever mm, yeah. whatever options we're going to look at for them um, but it's also you know just the whole range of problems that everyone has in rental properties you know it's getting yeah. your bond back it's getting repairs done you know all those things yeah. that, that are just a, a everyday hassle for you if you're renting and can I just yeah. say one of the one of the things that we, we need to keep pointing out about public housing which which you don't get with your, your standard private rental is you do get that guarantee you get that certainty that you're not going to be chucked out after your 12 months. Yes. yes. You I know so many comment on that, could you put a cup of tea by in charge? I oh, know I'm good, thanks. Oh yeah, <laughs> we haven't oh, we haven't we're being very rude. We should yeah, have offered you tea. Goodness, tea. Goodness, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But and yeah, you knocked so. it back anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But yeah, no. I mean, I think I think that's that's really important because I know so many people who are in the private rental market they, 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 they get into accommodation mm. and then within a few months, within a few months, their landlord's telling them um, at the end of the lease, mm. you're out. And then they've got to go through the whole process again. You know? Yeah, I mean, Hag is a long time uh, strong advocate of public housing. And that in particular is one of the reasons yeah. when we when we set out our benchmarks for what we believe that older people need and are entitled to demand as part of their housing. Yes. Security of tenure is absolutely at the top of that absolutely, list. Absolutely. And, yeah. and just like you say, you do not get that in, in private rental. No. Um, and that's the reason that we've always said that public housing is the best option for older older renters. Definitely, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously security of tenure is important for everyone, but as you get older, it does become more it important. It becomes a lot the, the more The practicalities important. of moving become oh, more and more onerous, so, yeah. so that really does become important if you want to be able to age in place. For sure. For sure. And, of course, um, point Howard raised at the end about people enjoying it and wanting it, etc. but also um, a- as they run down public housing and as they give more away, then public housing becomes more and more just for those at the very bottom of the economic heap, unfortunately, yeah. rather than being something that's that should be you know open to anybody really, and uh, yeah, I mean, and was, the norm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was funny earlier. I'm not sure who, but one of you was was saying something about this report that's complaining that public housing tenants don't bring bring in income. Well, you know, if public housing was a system that was open to low and income middle income earners, as as historically it once was, then it would generate that sort of revenue. But once you you kind of restrict it, and and as you say, deliberately try and run it down and Restricted only to people who are on government benefits. You know, mm. you can't you can't access right. it if you have wages. If you're doing mm. more than the tiniest amount of, of ca- kind of casual contract. So work. you say it's yeah. only for those. Of course, on benefits. there's no. Of course, there's no money coming right. in from the rent. Mm. You say mm. it's only for those on benefits, and isn't it terrible? Everyone in public housing is on benefits. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And what people don't realise as well is that because the price of housing is now so expensive, the kind of demographic that would live in public housing would be teachers, police officers, mm. firefighters. These are people who. Just about anyone, just about most community sector workers, it's about most people because most people can't afford to break into the housing market. Mm. So the fact that people see public housing, you know, as as, as just being for people on on the very, very low incomes is just not true. Mm. And if people are paying 25% of their their income in in rent, they will be very financially viable, you know. Yeah. Mm. And a, a term they use, of course, all the time is affordable housing. But uh, you have to argue that affordable is very relative to what you've got in your kick. And I, exactly. I should imagine that uh, the people you deal with, Shane, probably there's probably no affordability in housing at all. Oh, well, I think it's well established that there's no affordable housing mm. outside of public and outside no. of the, the community sector or whatever in Australia, you know. The Selvos, a couple of years ago, they have their annual uh, rent review kind of project they do. I can't think of what exactly it's called, but they do a survey of all the uh, housing ads in the newspapers over one weekend, and they found that there were literally no affordable properties no. Uh, in any metropolitan area in Australia. They found one that was affordable for someone on the dole, and I'm pretty sure it was a couch. That, that, was, <laughs> yeah, that was the rental right. property that you could afford. <laughs> 
That's right. Yeah, exactly. and indeed, um, in the stories that run over the Herald Sun, of course, going on terribly because these, um, the homeless uh, are occupying the Bendigo Street mm. and those homes there, and how dare they? Because these are needed for the needy, which does raise the question of where homelessness stopped being needy. <laughs> but, yes. um, but. They always end up with saying the Salvation Army wants to put needy people in there when these people are stopping them. And mm-hmm. again, one one begs the begs the question of how did the Salvation Army get into the equation in the first place? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or is that is that a question you simply can't answer? It's rhetorical, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if anyone can answer that. Why? Because the government doesn't want to manage any properties itself if it can avoid it. Mm-hmm. And well, that's I suppose that's part of the part of the problem, isn't it? But um, but why not? I mean. For years, public housing was run by the public. What, where did it start, this mad idea that you have to give it all away and let other people run it? Well, I mean, I'm not a historian or anything, but I think I mean, it goes back to that ideology of neoliberalism, doesn't mm. it? That it's always better to give things to the private sector. Mm. I mean, I think for a lot of politicians, they don't even think about that. It's just ingrained in the way that they, they think right. that it's automatically mm. better. Of course you want the private sector to yeah. run it. Of course that's more efficient. Like, it's it yeah. just like mm. the, the air that they breathe. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's in which right. case, um, again, the, seeing our power is run by the private sector, how come we've had blackouts all over Melbourne the last couple of weeks? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what happened to the efficiency of the private sector? Are you saying that privatising <laughs> things doesn't necessarily make things more efficient? Oh, I'm not saying. I would, oh. never, I would never say that. No, but the, but actually, it. just as an aside on that one, it's interesting because the week before they were all saying that when it went down in South Australia, clearly it was renewables that mm-hmm. caused it. In Victoria, it's fossils that run it. So why haven't fossils caused it to stop here? Nah, or, no, that's that you're walking on dangerous ground. Am I? Okay, yeah, I sorry, know. let's get back to housing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but again, we've seen, we mentioned earlier that, that $130 million they've paid for, for General, General Motors land in Fisherman's Bend, but it's just another example of all sorts of public land, dock lands itself, a development where there's no affordable housing at all or no public housing. No. The state government, when it does get involved, all it wants to do is provide more and more very expensive housing through private development. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be the best best system they've come up with. They've been working for at least, you know, 20 years trying to figure out a way that the private sector can deliver affordable housing for people. And they, they, there's no way to figure that out. You know, they... It's so surprising to me. Often when I hear um, public servants in the area of, of housing and even ministers and things like that talking about housing, they all talk about innovation. We need innovative approaches, innovative approaches. Mm. Mm. And, and it's bizarre because what they really mean is, okay, we know that what works is public housing and we're not going to do mm. that. We're not going to do the thing that works. So we need some innovative thinking to come mm. up with something else. Mm. If, you, if they just did the thing that, that everyone knows will work, mm. then they would, you know, the, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. The mm. wheel is sitting there and they're like, no, not that one. Like, <laughs> we can do better, right? Yeah, it just right, goes yeah. to show that, again, it goes back that this is adherence to the neoliberal mm. ideology is mm. so strong that, that nothing will break that. You know, no matter how, mu- how logical or how much sense it makes, nothing will break that ideology. And that's, that's a real, real concern. Well, I mean, the, the only thing that's going to break it is people organising collectively. Yeah. And that's what's been so exciting about some of the housing activism that has been happening yeah. with, you know, exactly. especially public housing groups and the, the Bendigo Street occupation, like you mentioned. Yeah. And the yeah. Rally Tomorrow. Yes, yes, that's, yes. that's right. The, uh, and you mentioned the inquiry that's been going on into residential whatever. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about it a few times in the programme. How's it going? Is it... Yeah, uh, well, so the the, res- the state government's in the middle of this very long, drawn-out review process for the Residential Tenancies Act, which is the act that governs uh, all kinds of rental accommodation in Victoria, um, rooming houses, regular tenancies, caravan parks, you know, all of these mm-hmm. things. Um, 
the the process has been first there was a very broad like tell us what you think kind of issue kind of paper then there's been a series of six issues papers that looked at different aspects of, of uh, rental legislation uh, everyone all the organizations and individuals who, who wanted to feed back into that have given their responses and now we're waiting for the outcomes paper that will tell us what the government is considering exactly uh, I feel I, I guess so the the tiny spark of optimism that I had at the start of this process has kind of faded over the over the course of those issues papers. It started to seem that you know the government wasn't really going to going to consider some of the things that would really help. Uh, in particular, uh, a, a total refusal to consider rent control, just a, a very strong ideological position that any limitations on rent are going to destroy the market. Uh, and constantly you hear from you know because it's not just tenant groups obviously who make submissions to these mm. inquiries it's the real estate institute the mm. property council course, very yeah. powerful very uh, powerful. organizations that represent landlords and landowners mm. uh that you know th- they're convinced that the slightest regulation will destroy the market and i'm sure mm. if you went back through every single piece of rental legislation that's ever been passed at every stage these these same groups or the equivalents were, were yelling no if you pass this it will destroy us mm. it will destroy the market there'll be no homes for anyone right. and they're saying that now mm. Uh, and they are very strong voices that, that have the ear of government. Uh, and again, that's why I think that it's a really important and exciting time to be organising around housing and mm. renters' rights because you know, the government's been quite explicit that this review, they expect it to stand for the next 10, 20 years. Uh, and this is the time, this is the chance mm. that people have to organise and, and make an intervention and say to the government, you must listen to what we're saying. You must mm. focus on security of tenure. You must focus on you know, a rental system that, that supports tenants and mm. it isn't just about how landlords can maximise their investments. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, one of the things we really need is that the, for people on on fixed incomes, in particular on you know pensions or whatever, who are actually renting in the private sector, it's almost impossible, isn't it? That need, that's a, that's a, something that just needs to be addressed. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that there's really an answer to that, except like we've been saying, more public and social housing, yeah. more public housing yeah. in particular. Um, the the, pri- the private market just isn't gonna isn't gonna address that need. Mm. Yeah. Should we all celebrate with some smashed up avocado on toast? That's yeah. the question. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm a bit confused at the moment because first Bernard Salt told me that the reason nobody can afford a house is because they're eating too much smashed avocado. Yes. But then yesterday, Malcolm Turnbull told me that the reason nobody can afford a house is because of union thugs. So I know. Now I don't know going which, on. Which, who to blame exactly. It's, yeah, there's an, there's yeah. an answer, actually, to this um, because the Livingston, um, what's her, what her first name is, Livingston, who's just retiring as the head of the Business Council of Australia, mm. she came out recently and said one of the big problems in Australia's economy at the moment is is low wages. And I thought, well, that's something you can fix pretty easily. Mm. Um, mm. And if you could fix that one and actually pay workers a, a decent wage, then they won't be able to afford a house. Exactly. And or, or even, or, at least the rent. At least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if I could just say one more thing about that, you know, the, the idea with this thing about smashed avocado is that the problem is young people, you know, they yeah, don't exactly. make the right priorities, they don't make the right decisions. Yeah. No, and right. I think that one of the big ideologies that's been really successful in, in kind of hiding the government's role in, in failures in, in making public housing is to set up this generational divide so that yes. know, young people blame old people yeah. for owning all the houses. Yeah. Old people blame young people for making bad economic decisions. Decisions, uh, you know, it, and nobody sees that, that the failure is the government, the tax system, the public housing system. That these are the things that we need to be focusing on, and not you know who's buying what for breakfast. And it's a, it's a divide and rule thing. Isn't yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah, is. yeah. I think that's one hundred percent true. Perhaps a smashed capitalist system lying next to the smashed avocado would uh, solve the problem. No. I was thinking you could use the union thugs to smash the avocados for you. That's another <laughs> option too. And then arrest them. And then arrest them. <laughs> yeah, because it's definitely going to be illegal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it, and fine them 
lots of money. One clock says 58, one says 57. It's the usual 3 our situation here. <laughs> but we are winding up. Anything else you wanted to say, Shane, while you're on today? Oh, look, well, if I could just give out contact information. So if you're listening to the show, you're over 55 and you've got any, any kind of housing problem that you want to talk to someone about, um, whether that's finding a new place or, like I said, a, a problem with your landlord or your agent, um, please do give us a call. Uh, the number is 9654-7389. Uh, I'll also plug the Hag Radio Show, which is on the fourth Wednesday uh, of every month from 6 to 6.30. Um, hope you're listening then, and we'll talk maybe some more about some of these issues. Okay, just before we go, because you mentioned about rentals and um, and very bloke who's been um, living for a number of years now in a in a rental accommodation in one of the, the groups, social housing groups, um, died on a bloke called Bruce Taylor, died on Monday. I just want to acknowledge that, because I've known him for about 50 years, and yeah. a lot of activists wouldn't have known him in the last 20 years or so, because he's had mobility problems, but up till then he was a massive activist in the trade union movement and all over the place. And, right, um, and going right back to the Vietnam War days and all that sort of thing. And, oh, right. Yeah, so um, so uh, so we might say more about that next week. But uh, yeah, he died on Monday. So there mm. you are. Okay, it's fifty-nine on one clock. Fifteen. Oh, both. We better go. <laughs> both say fifty-nine. Shane, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks very much for having thanks, me. Shane. That was great. And Mark, look. Oh, yeah. You, you, you're the guest, Shane. Look, thank. Thank Andy for doing a wonderful job. Oh, and tell Andy. people we've got, we got something on next week. We've got no idea what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll be a great show regardless. It will. It will. You take care, everyone. <laughs>